Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Al D. This is a show designed for aspiring current and former MBAs looking for advice on how you can grow your career through an MBA degree. During each episode, I'll talk to MBA students, graduates, and leaders about the MBA experience, navigating the workplace, and career development so you can learn how to develop and achieve your own version of career success through an MBA and beyond. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today's guest is Jerome Fulton Jr., a student in the class of 2023 at Harvard Business School. Really enjoyed my conversation with Jerome, who decided to go to business school to really pivot his career, but also to really develop his leadership skills. And he's been able to do that in his time at HBS. Uh, You'll be able to tell from just the conversation we had about not only his desire to succeed in business, but also to be a leader and to help develop others and to serve a mission that's bigger than himself. Uh, Really enjoyed uh, the conversation with Jerome. I think you'll really like it as well. Feel free to tell me what you think. Tell me what you liked about this episode or what else you'd want to see. You can email me at al at mbaschooled.com or find me on LinkedIn. All right. I'm here with Jerome Fulton Jr., who is a MBA candidate at Harvard Business School in the class of 2023. So Jerome, it's so great to have you here today. As folks of the MBA Insider Podcast know, I always love starting with a warm-up question. So my warm-up question for you, Jerome, is just thinking back, what was your first job and what was an important lesson that you learned from that experience? Oh, so I, I can answer this question in many ways. But first, I want to just thank you, Al, for you know, welcoming me on your platform, having me here. But my first job actually was in 1999. I was six years old and I used to work at my aunt's 99 cent store. So it was called Angel's 99 cent store. And I used to work the cash register. I used to count inventory. And I think that's how I got my start in business. But my first job that gave me a W-2 was at a summer camp in 2007. I was 14 years old. I worked at Country Village Park. And some of the kids were the same age as me because their parents sent them to like summer camp. But I was actually a camp counselor at 14. So that was like my informal job and my my actual first official job where I got a W-2. That's great. I think that's such a great job to have as a teenager. What was a key learning or takeaway from that experience that you had? Um, for, for me, it's about you're never too young to have an impact mm, yeah. because I would see other kids that were also 14, but I was in this position to help serve and to lead. So it taught me no matter how big or small I was, I can actually add value to any organization that I was a part of. And even when I was six years old, I, I think I got that same message you know, from working at that 99 cent store as well. That's such a great and important lesson. I'm sure it's served you well since then. And I guess speaking since then, tell us a little bit about yourself in the context of what were you doing professionally before you decided to go to business school? And why did you choose to pursue an MBA in the first place? Yeah, so before HBS, I was at Deloitte. I was a finance strategy consultant working on tech clients. So I worked on like operational improvement doing large-scale finance transformations for clients within the technology space. And prior to that, I worked at Ernst & Young as a financial services consultant. So I spent about five years in consulting before business school. And the reason why I even consider business school is as a young, as a kid, I always had really big goals and always said I was going to do certain things. So I remember when I was like in the sixth grade, I was like, I'm going to get my MBA by the time I'm 26. Didn't happen by the time I was 26, because I'll be 30 in May. But it became more realistic when I was in undergrad at the University of Florida. I met a guy named Jebby Matthews, 
and he worked at PwC and consultant and he was getting his MBA from Kellogg. So I was like, oh, wow, this is actually feasible. So I was like, all right, I'm a, I think I was maybe a junior at UF by that time. I was like, all right, I'm actually going to pursue this. And then working in consulting, you meet different people that go and pursue their MBA. So it was kind of a, a natural transition and a natural, natural pathway. And then I, I joined a program called MLT, which actually took a dream and made it a reality. And we can kind of discuss that later on. But yeah, those are kind of the the motivations and, and, and steps I kind of took to, you know, even get in that mindset of actually doing it. So it definitely sounds like you had some great influences and people who helped you see the possibilities with it. And certainly, obviously, working at companies like E&Y and Deloitte, there's certainly a lot of heavy influences there. Just out of curiosity, because this happened to me too, I actually, I think I told my parents when I was about six that I wanted to get an MBA. Any idea of where that aspiration came from or how did you even hear about it? Honestly, I don't even remember. Maybe from TV. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know, because I, I didn't really know too many professionals when I was coming up. Same. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I think I, I lived in a fantasy world as a child. Like I always thought my reality was very different from what it actually was. And I think that kind of served me extremely well as I got older because I wasn't afraid to dream and say like, oh, I'm going to move to California one day. Like I, I would say these things to me as a kid. And sometimes it may have been rooted in trauma, trying to have an escape and escape reality and create a life within your head that allows you to kind of progress and move on as if you're not in these spaces. But I don't really know what the the whole impetus or the catalyst was to pursue that MBA. But I remember telling myself that as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, obviously, Harvard Business School, top business school in the world, obvious reasons for why you might want to go there. But why did you end up choosing to attend HBS? What were some of those motivations or things that stuck out to you about HBS that made it the place you wanted to be? It's funny because in... 2020, I actually came to visit HBS for the H. Naylor Fitzhugh Conference, uh, which is also known as the ASU Conference, because I was like, all right, let me just get a feel for it, see how it is. And I left there feeling like, dang, I didn't see anybody that I felt like reminded me of myself. So when I was in management leadership for tomorrow, MLT, uh, HBS was not one of the schools on my list. And I think a large part of it was I convinced myself that I didn't see myself there because I wasn't used to failure anymore. So I was like, it made me like, gave me a reason to not apply. Like you remove yourself so far from it and, and pretend to give yourself a valid reason as to why you shouldn't apply. So I think I was on that train for a bit. And when I was in MLT, everybody was applying to HBS. That was kind of like the thing to do. It was like, let me just shoot my shot. And as I started to do more research on it, I was like, wow, this school is actually amazing. I had a couple coffee chats virtually with some students because it was in a pandemic. And oddly enough, when I would reach out to people, the HBS students would be the first ones to respond. So the whole idea that HBS has a bunch of like arrogant, elitist individuals, that that myth was kind of debunked when I started doing my outreach, which made it more of an enticing place. And to kind of like give you a direct answer, it is the best business school in the world. It's kind of like, why not? And if you do get in, you kind of have to go in a sense. But beyond that, I remember I got into HBS in another school on the same day, which is an amazing institution. And my family was like, oh my gosh, you got into Harvard. Like that's all that mattered to them. And the decision ultimately came down to me choosing a school that not only was 
academically rigorous and would help me achieve all my goals, but would also give me access to spaces that would serve individuals that come from a lot of money and not a lot of money. And HBS has a brand that supersedes wealth, you know, your background, nationality, gender, and all those things. And I wanted to have, I wanted to equip myself with a brand that will allow me to have significant impact on multiple communities. So now you've been in HBS for maybe a little bit over a year and a half, give or take. I know that there's a lot of things you can do in your time in HBS, and I'm sure you've been able to do a lot, but could you share maybe one or two of the most impactful experiences that you've had so far in your time in business school? I would say the first thing is my section experience. And I think everybody has this experience at HBS, but I feel like I had a really, really, really strong section, and especially the Black people in my section. Like they became my rock, some of my closest friends at school. And I was able to open up and share things with them that I did not feel comfortable sharing with anybody else. And beyond the Black people in my section, as I kind of you know took down those walls and those layers, I've been able to connect with a lot of people in my section who I feel like will become like family You know, once I leave this institution. So the section ex- experience is, is super unique and it's super promising. And if you give it a chance, I think that it will be one of the most impactful experiences you have at HBS. Like I went to India with like a bunch of my section mates and one of my Indian section mates actually led the trek and introduced us to his family. And I was able to connect with his sister and experience his culture. And I had never been to India and it was like, that guy was the most perfect person to experience India with. And so I had a lot, like, like I also went to Iceland with a native Icelandic guy from my section who, showed us like what it was like to live in his world. So I got so many culturally immersive experiences by just engaging and opening up to my section mate and being present and being available and like really immersing myself in that section experience. I wouldn't say ASU is second, but it is the second example because I think it's just as important, if not more important to my HBS experience than my uh, section experience. So ASU is the African-American Student Union in which I'm one of the three co-presidents for and it's like you, you're the face and voice of the Black community at HBS. And I'm a person that feels like I'm a good representative of my community. And I always want to fight and advocate for them. And just having that direct line to administration and admissions and, you know, affecting policy and, and, and just different rules associated with the Black experience is like truly rewarding and fulfilling, even if I don't get the credit for it. Like, at least I know that I was one of the people that worked so hard to help Black students get access to XYZ. And so and even just beyond the more administrative stuff, it's fun. Like, it's great to be around highly intellectual Black people that get it, where I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to say things twice. I can just look at somebody and they can kind of understand what, what, what I'm, what's going on. So I would say the section experience and my ASU experience are, are two experiences that I'm eternally grateful for. And I thank HBS for having those communities. Hey there, it's Al. And thanks so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. I wanted to take a quick break to ask you a small favor. I'm loving doing this show and I hope you're enjoying it too. If you're enjoying this episode, I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes to leave a review and rate this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Or simply share it on social media or send it to a friend. I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you. And let's get back to the show. So I think the through line, at least observing from the outside through, through both of those examples, are those relationships. would be curious to know from you, what do you think enabled that 
in terms of being able to have those trusting relationships or have those deepening of the relationship? You know, what it, what's in the water or what's in the environment that really enables and facilitates that to happen? I, I think HBS does a really great job at selecting individuals who are not only intelligent, but emotionally, emotionally intelligent and individuals that actually want to be around people. I think business school has that flavor in general around like it's a hyper social environment. So I think HBS facilitates a lot of those interactions at first. But for me personally, I think it's being vulnerable and letting down my wall because I'm a very tough person. I've been through a lot in my life. So I enter most relationships like showing that tough side versus that, you know, softer, like nicer side. I think I kind of feel like sometimes people have to earn that like very, very extremely nice side of Jerome. Like I'm, I'm pleasant and I'm giving, but I have this really, really nice layer to me where I'll do anything for the people that I care about and I love. And I think I challenge myself to show more of that early on to people as opposed to just showing that I'm smart or that I belong here. I'm like, I didn't, I was way beyond showing that I'm worthy. It was like, let's show who I really am. I don't have to have that wall up. And I think that's what's enabled me to have a lot of the relationships I do have. And I'm not going to lie there where like, I still had that little, that hardened layer because I think that's who life has made me become. But I think I stripped it away a lot faster than I normally have in the past. So as I, I mentioned earlier, you could spend a lot of time or you could spend your time doing a lot of different diverse things at HBS because there are so many opportunities. But it sounds like you're using a lot of your time there outside of the classroom, at least to take on leadership roles. And I think one of them is, is ASU, but there certainly might be others. Could you talk about what really has motivated you or, or encouraged you to devote some of these efforts to being in a leadership role, whether it's an ASU or, or other things? And how do you see that playing into your own growth and development in business school? Yeah, so I'm also the VP of admissions for the first gen low income club at HPS. And during my first year, I was the DEI rep for my section. So most of my leadership roles at HPS has been around equity. And I think for me growing up in Miami, Florida, and like experiencing a lot of challenges that I've experienced, like losing both of my parents to gun violence, and then going to the University of Florida, being one of very few African-American students in a business school, I did not see myself represented a lot. And even going to USC, there weren't many of us in the accounting program as well. And just majoring in accounting and working in accounting, African-Americans are significantly underrepresented. We let we represent less than 1% of the CPAs. So my life mission has always like been to how do I help other people that look like me show up in these spaces, feel comfortable in these spaces, and also thrive in these spaces. So I think that has been like the impetus for a lot of the work that I've been doing at HBS and even in my professional career, because I also sit on a student recruitment committee for the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. And while I was you know, working, I was on the inclusion, I was an inclusion champion for the AICPA and I did a lot of other equity focused work at my firms. And HBS specifically is a challenge because I'm not just dealing with regular, and I put that in air quotes because I don't think HBS people are more special than anybody else, but you have a bunch of people who have been on the right side of the bell curve their entire lives. They have very strong opinions. They're very intelligent. They're very successful and you have to lead them. (laughs) It is extremely challenging. Like these are 200 black people with opinions, 
who have worked at the top firms that have made a bunch of money that some come from a lot of money, some like have built their own wealth, but these are very accomplished people. And that has challenged me in a way that I had to learn how to evolve my leadership style and had to think outside of myself. Cause typically in other environments, I was always the top dog, you know, like, it's like, Oh yeah, we know Jerome is going to do this and he's going to do that. But now it's like, I'm actually leading some people that probably know how to do things better than I can or more efficient. And so it, it's been incredibly humbling and it has taught me to how to navigate in spaces where I move up and down that bell curve, where sometimes I'm on the left, sometimes I'm on the right. But as a leader, you it's, it's a selfless job, you know, it's, it's servant leadership. So taking those leadership roles, I'm conscious of that and I'm tweaking, constantly tweaking my style for the betterment of the community. And that's even evident in the classroom, where it's like I go from being an expert in this class to this other class where I don't know anything. And it's about being humble and learning. And I think that has like been a true evolution of my leadership style is like, how do I like shape shift and take very learn take learnings extremely quickly and like process those learnings in real time to become a better leader. I think one of the things that you hit on, which I think is great about business school, particularly a top business school like HBS, is that when you are surrounded by so many smart, driven, intelligent people, people who do have leadership abilities, you don't always have to be the top doc. And that certainly can also be challenging for some in terms of that transition if you have been in an environment where you're used to being the top doc. But it also, I think, allows you, I think, as you've demonstrated, perhaps to be open and to curious and curious about learning new ways of thinking, new ways of leading, and also maybe not having to always share, uh, shoulder the burden, right, of, of being a leader. Absolutely. I, I could not have said it more eloquently. Like, that is exactly what this experience is about. And I had a, a classmate of mine who I was explaining something to him. I was like, I'm so used to being independent, doing things, my, doing things myself. And he said, the behaviors that got you here don't have to be the behaviors that keep you here and that will propel you like beyond. Like yeah. you can actually lean on people. It's okay. And I kind of took that to heart. And I think that's one of the best pieces of advice that I got while I've been in business school. So as you just to have you reflect a little bit, how have you, what have you learned about yourself or perhaps even about your own leadership abilities, either inside of the classroom or through being involved in these leadership positions? I would say I'm extremely passionate it's, and it shines through when I'm being my best and most authentic self. That's one thing that I've learned. And I think people gravitate towards that energy when you are yourself and you are passionate about things that you truly care about. So that's one thing. And another thing is that I don't always have to be the best because I, I come from an environment where it's like, all right, you got to be the top dog or my accomplishments became my identity. Well, yes, Jerome is a person that does this or he'll also do that. But now it's like, I'm okay coming in second place because it's not that bad. If I'm coming second or even 10th place to the 1,000 or the 90 you know, smartest people in the world, I am, I'm just okay with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't always have to feel like I have to compete. I just have to be my best self and put forth the best version of myself. And I think that's what this experience has taught me is like, grow at your own pace. Don't compare yourself to anybody else and don't get caught up into a self image that you allow others to create for you. Because when you don't rise to that occasion, you will crumble. So this experience has been all about me coming into who I am as a, as a young man, as a, as a future business leader, and really aligning my self-interest in my North Star versus 
aligning what someone told me I should align with money. Like, how do I do what's best for Jerome, but also do what Jerome really care, care about? So at the time of recording this, it, you're about a year and a half in and you're pretty, pretty close to graduation, but anything you want to share in terms of what your aspirations are after graduating from HBS in the short term, at least? Yeah. So in the short term, I want to work in private market investing. I really want to, to, to build that technical investing acumen. And then in the long term, I want to raise a fund. So I want to help minorities get access to alternative investments. Because I know a lot of Henry's, which are the, the high earnings, not rich yet. And a lot of people just don't know what to do with their money. I know pharmacists. I know doctors that are making money. They just don't know anything about finance or alternative investments. So I want to create a fund that's geared towards these individuals that are that, that meet the accredited investor rule and help them get in, in, help them get access to the right deals and deals that have in bottom lines. So that not only getting you strong financial returns, but that are good for community, that's good for society, that's good for the environment. So one asset class that I want to invest in specifically is affordable housing, because I feel like they have affordable housing provides guaranteed income streams is pretty much economic crises proof because of the nature of the business, but you can still get above average returns. So I want to help people get access to high reward, medium risk returns that also do well for society. And getting in a private market investing role will help me learn the lay of the land, get that credibility. So in you know, the next five years, I can be launching that fund and I could be reaching out to people like you and say, yo, like I, I need some LPs. Let's do this thing. I love that. Uh, so Jerome, a lot of folks who listen to this podcast are early career professionals who are thinking about trying to accelerate their career and might be considering an MBA. What advice might you have for them just about how an MBA might be a, a, a good opportunity for them to grow their career or or what advice do you, I know you talk to a lot of uh, aspiring MBAs. So what advice do you give to MBAs or potential MBAs about the, just the MBA experience and how it might help them enhance their skills and abilities? Yeah, I would say first, know your why. Know why you want to do this and be very clear on that because I think that'll, that'll help you determine if this experience is for you or if it's not for you. Uh, in terms of actually pursuing, once you have made the conscious decision to pursue it, I would say pick the school that is best for you. Don't just chase money. Say like, oh, this school gave me a full ride. I need to go there because you may be putting yourself in a trap. And, you know, you go to a school like HBS or GSB Wharton or even Kellogg or any of the M7 schools, you may not get the most money out of the bunch, but don't let money be a deterrent. But I will say the B school experience is like being in a career incubator. You learn so much in, a, in such a short period of time your career opportunities are endless. You can make huge pivots, but you really got to double down and immerse yourself within that field. Like if you are, let's say, financial analyst and you want to do VC, become a nerd in VC as soon as you decide that you want to apply to business school. Get those pre-MBA internships. Rebrand yourself. Take advantage of the programs that are available for pre-MBA students and MBA students. Do those in-semester internships if you want to break into a field that you feel like you may not be qualified for, or you may not have the traditional background for. Make it, make the impossible possible and leverage everything you have to do so. Like the MBA provides a strong network, not just at your school, but across other schools and take advantage of that. Like when you're a student, there are so many people that want to talk to you. Like take advantage of those opportunities, use your leverage to the best of your ability to help you make that career transition. 
And going to school is just not about who you know, but also who knows you. So that relationship piece is extremely important. I remember doing orientation. Uh, I believe the dean said that there are like three tracks at this school. There's an academic, there's a professional, and there's a social. And all three are equally as important. While grades are important, so is finding a job and so is networking. And I think you need an equal, uh, a relatively equal balance of all three to really make this experience worthwhile. Because while you're applying through the career website for this job, there may be somebody next to you that has a hookup, that dad may be on the board or their brother may work there. So leverage the people around you and don't look at business school as just something that's so transactional. It is truly transformational because just like someone helped you, you'll have the opportunity one day to help the next person. So like they're paying it forward and you'll also pay it forward. So just kind of keep those tidbits in mind. So if I were to summarize that, it's like immerse yourself in the career path that you want to be on. Number one, leverage pre-MBA and in-semester internships to kind of rebrand yourself and get that experience. And number three, leverage the people around you. You're not doing this experience in a silo. You're not in class by yourself. So make sure you take advantage. I hate the word take advantage, but leverage the people around you to help you reach your goals. But don't be afraid to pay it forward as well. Jerome Fulton Jr., this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for coming on the NBA Insider Podcast. No problem at all, Al. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. Al D. here. And thank you so much for listening to the NBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.